invite you to open your Bibles to Luke and the first chapter. The Gospel of Luke and chapter 1. And I'd like to begin reading at verse uh, 67. This is after the birth of John the Baptist. We're familiar with the story of Zacharias and Elizabeth and how the Lord uh, promised this baby and how Zacharias was uh, struck dumb and not, unable to speak after he hesitated to believe the unbelievable news that the angel had shared with him there in the temple. But after the baby was born and, and named, then in verse 67, his father Zacharias was filled with the Holy Ghost and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he hath visited and redeemed his people and hath raised up an horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David as he spake by the mouth of his holy prophets, which have been since the world began, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all that hate us, to perform the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he sware to our father Abraham, that he would grant unto us that we being delivered out of the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. And thou, child, shalt be called the prophet of the highest, for thou shalt go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation unto his people by the remission of their sins. Through the tender mercy of our God, whereby the day spring from on high hath visited us to give light to them that sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. There's a couple of things that this passage, this, uh, this word from Zacharias stresses to us and one is that mankind is, is facing an awful enemy and uh, awful circumstances left uh, unsaved. There are enemies in, in verse 71. And the hand of all that hate us, he mentions. And in 74, he mentions enemies again. And, and then with the, uh, with the enemies and the opposition against mankind, he also mentions the salvation, the solution, the horn of salvation, that we can be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all that hate us. And that there is a, a possibility of being delivered out of the hand of our enemies. And that we can don't have to serve the enemy, but we can serve God without fear. 
and we can be holy and righteous in verse 75. And there can be remission of sins. Uh, and then he refers to John the Baptist, who is, give, who is the preacher and the one preparing the way. And then he refers to Jesus also, who is the source of and the only Savior to the day spring, who, is, who hath visited us to give light to them that sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. So man needs, man is, in, is lost and man needs to be rescued. He needs a savior. Uh, just uh, recently in the news, maybe some of you noticed about Harris O'Keefe. This actually happened um, last May that uh, Harris O'Keefe was a Nigerian and he was uh, the cook on a tugboat, an ocean-going tugboat, tugboat. So it wasn't just a, you know, a, little, a little motorboat. It was a pretty big boat. And it was hooked to a, um, an oil tanker uh, about 20 miles off the coast of Nigeria along with two other tugboats. And the, the water there in the Atlantic at that time was, there were some very heavy swells, big waves. And uh, early one morning, uh, he was in a little cubicle and he felt the, uh, the uh, tugboat lurch and then it just flipped over, it keeled over upside down. And he could feel it just going down, down, down. And at that point in the water, was about, uh, the water was about 100 foot deep. And he went all the way down to the bottom into that, and the water was icy cold. And he was dazed, and it was very, very dark. And he was thrown around and battered up some. And he, uh, after things sort of stabilized, he... He crawled his way out of the cubicle and headed for, it was kind of on a slant and he was on the ceiling, he was upside down. And he headed toward uh, the, the uh, part that was higher and, and got into a bubble of air. There was a, a good sized bubble of air, but the water was slowly coming up. Well, this was kind of a terrifying situation. And he knew he was... Without some kind of help, he was lost. And he didn't hear anyone else. And he assumed they had all drowned. And they had. There were 11 others on board that boat. They all drowned. So he set about to wait and hope that a rescuer, that he could be rescued he had grabbed a few tools and a couple of flashlights as he headed toward the, the high ground. And um, he made a little platform with a couple of mattresses so he could be up and out of the water. And he started calling on the name of God, he said. 
And he started thinking about verses that he had read just the night before. His wife had emailed him verses to read. And so he was reading in the Bible from Psalm 54 through Psalm 92. And was thinking about all these things. He was thinking about his family. He'd been married for five years. They didn't have any children. And he was thinking about his friends. And he thought about his comrades who were gone. And he thought about this awful situation. And the hours went by and went by and went by. I don't know if he had a watch or not, but uh, he began to get very thirsty and hungry. All that he had was a, a bottle of Coke that he would sip on now and then. And the salt water uh, was hard on his face and skin and kind of made it sore and painful. And he thought he was going to die. And then he heard the sound of a boat motor. And then he heard an anchor uh, thump on the uh, seafloor. And he heard some stirring around. But, you know, this was a pretty big boat and he just didn't imagine that they could find him. He took the hammer and went to the hull and hammered on the steel hull of the, of the boat. But he didn't get anyone's attention and they kind of moved away. But they found him. They had gone there on a recovery mission. They figured that they were recovering bodies and they had found two or three bodies. And then uh, one of the rescuers, uh, recovery men, saw this hand out here in his light and he reached for it and the hand grabbed him and shocked him. And then they realized that, that uh, this was going to be a rescue effort. And by this time it had been 72 hours that he had been down there in that bubble of water. And it was, uh, they had to go through some procedures to de- um, he had to be in a decompression chamber because of, of the pressure, the high pressure at, at 100 feet. And so he couldn't just pop up to the top or he could have had a heart attack or something. But he was rescued and okay. And guess what? He was very, very grateful. He was a very grateful man. And sometimes when he would lay on his bed and doze off to sleep, he would start to feel that the that his bed was sinking and he would imagine himself in that boat and he would cry out and jump out of bed. But he was safe. He had been saved. And he was grateful. It just seemed so remarkable that he was rescued. And 11 others didn't, didn't make it. Well, you remember also the story of Jesus in a boat with twelve disciples, with his twelve disciples, and remember how Jesus went to sleep, and how the storm came up, a great tempest. It says, insomuch that the ship was covered with waves, water was coming in, and how distressing this was getting to be for the disciples. And I don't know whether they were bailing out water, what all they were trying to do. But eventually they realized, you know, unless a miracle takes place we, or we get some kind of help, we're lost. 
And they went to Jesus and woke him up and said, Lord, save us. We perish. And Jesus arose and he rebuked the winds and the sea and there was a great calm. But the men marveled, saying, What manner of man is this that even the winds and the sea obey him? They knew with, if Jesus hadn't been here, if Jesus hadn't acted, we would have been lost. They were very grateful. They worshipped. Now those were both, uh, both of those examples were serious crisis situations. But they, they were, they are not nearly so serious as the crisis of spiritual darkness and desperate need on the earth. Many people don't realize their situation. Many people love the dark. The Bible says men love darkness rather than light. They often choose the darkness and they pursue evil. They like it. They want it. And they don't know while they think they're in charge and while they think they're having a wonderful time, they don't know that the end of that is death and destruction and that they are in great spiritual peril. And the world has many, many, many people in that kind of a crisis situation. Many of the Pharisees, Jewish leaders, Herod, in the time at the time of Jesus' birth, were were the, those sorts of people. But then there are others. There are others who are aware of the danger. They're aware of their sin, of their need. The Bible reminds them. The Bible reminded them in the in Bible times. Isaiah, we were reading from Isaiah this morning in chapter 55. God says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. And he's not, just, he's not talking there about that God knows more than we do. He is saying, that God's thoughts are holy and God's ways are holy and man's are not. And men read that and serious men read that and knew that was true and knew that their ways were not like God's ways. The Old Testimony, uh, the Old uh, Testament ceremonial sacrifices reminded men, reminded the Hebrews over and over again. They were sinners. But in those sacrifices, there is a remembrance again made of sins every year. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and of goats should take away sins. Zacharias and Elizabeth, they remembered that. The Day of Atonement and those that offering was made, they were reminded, I'm a sinner. I need a redeemer. Joseph and Mary 
remembered. They knew they needed a redeemer. The shepherds on the hillside, they knew. Some, some scholars, historians think that maybe those shepherds were keeping sheep uh, that were used for the temple sacrifices. But they were reminded, they knew, they were serious men. Old Simeon and aged Anna in the temple. And in Jerusalem, there were others who remembered, godly people who remembered. They knew the ache of a sinner's soul. The wise men, we don't know what all they knew. Maybe quite a lot. There, there could well have been a connection uh, between them and Daniel's teaching and prophecies uh, from the same area where Daniel was taken uh, prisoner many, many years before. But they knew something of a promised redemption. They didn't just go to, uh, to uh, Judah, to Jerusalem, for the novelty of it, to worship at the uh, bed of a foreign king. So here and there, scattered around the world, there were people that were sick of sin. They were suffering from sin. They were tired of it. And they were sorrowful and heavy and knew they were guilty. They were tired of the selfishness of the conflict and struggle and the unforgiveness and the anger and the hatred and the lust and the stubbornness and the rebellion and the pride and the covetousness and the stealing, the things that they did. And they were alarmed about things in their lives. They struggled against it. And they cried out, help! I need a rescuer. I need someone to save me. And they hoped. And they saw the scriptures. And they hoped. Now some of our Christmas carols reflect the need of man. Um, that song we just sang, uh, 69, uh, mentions it very, very strongly. Uh, number 97, I just went through a few of the carols, brightest and best, brightest and best, the sons of the morning, Dawn on our darkness and lend us thine aid. We, we need you, God. Lend us thine aid. We need a help that is beyond what we can do ourselves. Uh, the uh, hymnal in number 91, O Little Town of Bethlehem. O holy child of Bethlehem, in verse 4. Descend to us, we pray. Cast out our sin and enter in. Be born in us today. We hear the Christmas, Christmas angels, the great glad tidings tell. O come to us, abide with us, our Lord Emmanuel. Recognizing the need 
for a Redeemer, for cleansing. Cast out our sin and enter in. Be born in us today. And uh, song number 101. It came upon the midnight clear. Uh, verse 2. See, didn't we sing, sing that this morning? Uh, I think we did. Yeah, I believe, I'm sure we did. Still through the cloven skies they come with peaceful wings unfurled and still their heavenly music floats o'er all the weary world. Above the sad and lowly plains they bend on hovering wing and o'er its babble sounds the blessed angels sing. So there's a weary world, sad, in poor condition, and the babble sounds. Isn't that the truth? Doesn't that describe the world, the currents in the news, what people believe, what people think about, what people tell each other, babble, lies. Now we didn't sing uh, the next verse, I don't think this morning we skipped over it. And ye beneath life's crushing load, whose forms are bending low, who toil along the climbing way with painful steps and slow, Look now, for glad and golden hours come swiftly on the wing. O oh, rest beside the weary road and hear the angels sing. So in these uh, songs, we're hearing about the need and the, the toil and the pain and the crushing load. But there is the glad tidings in O Little Town of Bethlehem. And... Um, the glorious song of old in the first verse of it came upon a midnight clear and peace on earth, goodwill to men from heaven's all gracious king, the world in solemn stillness lay to hear the angels sing. In your, uh, in your uh, songbook racks, there's a, a song in quite a, I hope that enough of you can see it and maybe you're familiar with it. Veiled in darkness, uh, Judah lay. This isn't a, an unfamiliar song, is it? Um, Veiled in darkness here has, uh, uh, metaphorically, it was dark when uh, the angels came to the shepherds, but it's also referring to a spiritual darkness. Veiled in darkness, Judah lay, waiting for the promised day, while across the shadowy night streamed a flood of glorious light, heavenly voices chanting then, Peace on earth, goodwill to men. Still the earth, speaking of today, and this song was written back, uh, I think, during or just after World War I, and there had been some millions of people killed and a great deal of destruction and suffering. Still the earth in darkness lies up from the deaths, up from death's dark veil arise voices of a world in grief, prayers of men who seek relief 
Now our darkness pierce again. Peace on earth, goodwill to man. Peace on earth, goodwill to man. Light of light, we humbly pray, shine upon thy world today. Break the gloom of our dark night, fill our souls with love and light. Send thy blessed word again. Peace on earth, goodwill to man. Peace on earth, goodwill to man. I wonder if we could sing this. Joe, would you want to lead it? There is a great need, there was a great need, there is a great need, there is a great crisis. Man without a Savior is lost. But there is also a great Savior. And that's what brought such joy when Jesus was born. Zacharias and Elizabeth were joyful. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he hath visited and redeemed his people and hath raised up an horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, said Zacharias. Joseph and Mary were joyful. And Mary said, My soul doth magnify the Lord, and my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior. The shepherds who heard the message and visited Bethlehem the night Jesus was born rejoiced. It says they returned from visiting baby Jesus, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told unto them. 
And when Simeon in the temple took Jesus in his arms, he blessed God and said, Lord, now lettest thou thy servant depart in peace according to thy word. For mine eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared before, all, before the face of all people, a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. An aged Anna. She coming in that instant while Simeon was holding baby Jesus gave thanks likewise unto the Lord and spake of him to all them that looked for redemption in Jerusalem. And the wise men, when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. And when they were come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. We have a wonderful Savior, a rescuer. Such as sit in darkness and in the shadow of death being bound in affliction and iron, because they rebelled against the words of God and condemned the counsel of the Most High. Therefore he brought down their heart with labor. They fell down and there was none to help. Then they cried out, cried unto the Lord in their trouble and he saved them out of their distresses. He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death and break their bands in sunder. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. For he hath broken the gates of brass and cut the bars of iron in sunder. Hark the glad sound. For he hath looked down from the height of his sanctuary. From heaven did the Lord behold the earth to hear the groaning of the prisoner, to loose those that are appointed to death, to declare the name of the Lord in Zion and his praise in Jerusalem. The words of Jesus to Paul when he was struck down on the Damascus road Jesus speaking of his, of his role as a Savior, Deliverer, Redeemer, to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them, which are sanctified by faith that is in me. Then Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life, and we believe and are sure that thou art that Christ, the Son of the living God. <clears throat> the shepherds responded. Zacharias and Elizabeth responded. Joseph and Mary responded. The wise men responded. Simeon and Anna responded. 
the disciples, many that heard the message of the gospel and received it, responded to the Savior, responded to the rescuer. Harris O'Keefe is a very grateful man. He said a very heartfelt thank you. He knew his situation was desperate and that he was helpless and without a rescuer, he was a goner. The disciples on the Sea of Galilee felt the same way when Jesus calmed the storm. They were grateful. They were in awe and they worshiped. I'd like to uh, read from Luke 7, another little incident from Jesus' life, beginning at verse 36 in Luke 7. It's a familiar account. Luke 7, beginning at verse 36. And one of the Pharisees desired him, Jesus, that he would eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and sat down to meet. And behold, a woman in the city, which was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at meat in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster box of ointment and stood at his feet behind him weeping and began to wash his feet with tears and did wipe them with the hairs of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisees which had hidden, which had bidden, the Pharisee which had bidden him saw it, he spake within himself, saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would have known who and what manner of woman this is that toucheth him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said unto him, Simon, I have somewhat to say unto thee. And he saith, Master, say on. There was a certain creditor, Jesus speaking now, which had two debtors. The one owed five hundred pence and the other fifty. And when they had nothing to pay, he frankly forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him most? Simon answered and said, I suppose that he to whom he forgave most. And he said unto him, Thou hast rightly judged. And he turned to the woman and said unto Simon, Seest thou this woman? I entered into thine house. Thou gavest me no water for my feet but she hath washed my feet with tears and wiped them with the hairs of her head. Thou gavest me no kiss, but this woman, since the time I came in, hath not ceased to kiss, ceased to kiss my feet. My head with oil thou didst not anoint, but this woman hath anointed my feet with ointment. Wherefore I say unto thee, her sins which are many are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. And he said unto her, Thy sins are forgiven. This lady had lived a sinful life. This lady knew her lost condition. She knew she was a sinner. And she knew that without a rescuer, without a savior, that she was doomed. But there was a savior. There is a savior. She found the Savior. Were her tears, tears of despair, of someone facing judgment? No, they were tears of relief and gratitude and joy and love 
for her Redeemer. Now, if we could have followed that lady, if we could know, if it were written, what her life was like after that meal with uh, Jesus, what do you think it would have been like? Do you think she was quickly pulled back to her bad life? Do you think she was one to quickly complain and criticize and hold grudges? I'm sure she was human and she would struggle with human responses, just like all of us do. But as long as she kept in mind that day and kept in mind her salvation and the Redeemer, I think that stirred in her a desire to follow His ways, to serve Him, to please Him, her Rescuer, her Savior. She was forgiven. She was cleansed. She could live a new life, be delivered from that old wicked stuff and selfish stuff and and the conflict and the hatred and the, all of that. And now she knew what love was and peace and joy. And she could be long-suffering toward others and gentle. And she could have a pure heart. She could be humble before others. She wanted to please the Lord. I notice how often we see that kind of a call in the Scriptures, in the New Testament, in the Epistles, that ye might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work, a good life, good thoughts, good attitudes, pleasing, pleasing to the Lord. But as we are allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel, even so we speak not as pleasing men, but pleasing God, which trieth our hearts. Paul talking about his motives. We keep his commandments, 1 John 3, and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. We're grateful because we're forgiven and cleansed. We're grateful because we're delivered. We're grateful because we can live a new life. You know how this, uh, this lady and the story that Jesus told was pointing out that's to Simon that not everybody realizes their situation. Simon didn't realize his condition. He didn't realize his need of salvation. I think Ryan mentioned it this morning in the opening or in some thoughts that were made somewhere anyway about uh, looking down on others. Maybe it was in the Sunday school class. And we can't do that. We're all equally lost. This lady maybe did worse things in some ways than, than this Simon. But Simon's pride was a terrible stench 
before the Lord. And he needed a Savior every bit as much as that lady that he looked at so condescendingly. How clearly do we see what condition we were in? When we lay on our bed, we don't, uh, we're not, none of us have been rescued from a sunken tugboat, but are there thoughts going through our minds? How of gratefulness, gratitude to God, seeing our condition before the rescuer came. How clearly do we see the dangers around us, the dangers within us? How devoted are we? How greatly do we desire to please and obey Him? Thanks be unto God for His unspeakable gift. There's that little poem, I think, that Eric referred to it this morning. What can I give Him, poor as I am? If I were a shepherd, I would bring a lamb. If I were a wise man, I would do my part. Yet what I can give Him, give Him my heart. Yet what can I give Him? Give Him my heart. That's the response of gratitude. We were in terrible shape. We needed a Redeemer. We need a Redeemer. We have a great Redeemer. A great Savior. A wonderful Savior. Let's respond to His salvation with praise and worship and a life that pleases Him.